Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Matt and Carrie Murphy. Matt is my friend I train jiu-jitsu with, and Matt and his wife, of course, have a very interesting story related to organ donor. Um, he, he donated an organ to keep his, you know, to save his wife's life. So very cool, unique story. I thought it would be pretty interesting to have an episode about it, but there's many other topics we discuss in today's episode. I really appreciate Matt and Carrie for joining me today. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. There we go. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined in studio by Matt and Carrie Murphy. Matt, Carrie, how are you all doing today? Doing great. Good. Thank you. Good. I appreciate you all coming in. Um, we were doing a rundown prior to pressing record of what the intro will look like. And I was saying, Matt, you, we've trained jujitsu together for years. Yep. About two and a half years. Yep. You've, so you've been at the Academy for Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Shout out to Professor Scott Smith. Yes. Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, Kentucky. Uh, you've trained there for two and a half years. Yes. Okay. So of course that's how we met. What brought, actually, this, this, this is my interview style, so I apologize. It's very ADD, so I'll bounce all over the place. What brought you into Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, Kentucky, Matt? Because I don't know the I was about to, to turn 50. I had previous martial arts background back in my 20s and early 30s, and this makes Carrie cringe. Like, she went to a lot of, went through a lot of the kickboxing and a lot of the tough man fighting. Could you put this a little closer okay. to your face there? And then, um... I was reading. So you're I was 40, you were 50 years old. And I was 49, turning about to turn 50, and I'm like, I've got to make 
if I'm going to do jujitsu, I've got to do it now. In the back of your mind, you had wanted to do it for years. Absolutely. How many years? Uh, since the beginning of UFC. So 90, that's when 1993, I started. you had at least acknowledged, hmm, that seems legit. Because during kickboxing, after the kickboxing training, we would try to grapple and simulate things that we saw on the UFC matches, and it was exhausting, and we didn't know what we were doing, and it was always intriguing to me. But there wasn't, in the early 90s, there wasn't, you couldn't find jujitsu. You had a phone book. There wasn't the internet, and it was difficult to, like, to find and reach out and find anything jujitsu-wise. Sure. And from what I understand, you had to travel to go find anybody that could teach you. So Maybe you, turning, you found a blue belt. Yeah. Turning 50, uh, specifically, how did you choose Gracie Jiu-Jitsu of Kentucky? Word of mouth. Okay. And I had two places. Um, both, uh, what's the one on Westport? Uh, Gracie. Louisville. Louisville. Yeah. Of, um, yeah, whatever the name of that was. So I was going to go look at that one, and then a friend of mine, his son had trained at Gracie for a short period of time, had been to both places. He's like, this is the place you need to go first. So I went there, sort of checked it out, and then brought my friend back. We sort of looked at it. He signed up, and then I'm like, I thought we were going to visit several places, maybe go out to uh, Chewy's place, you know, sort of look around, shop around. But we decided, you know, after he joined, then we joined. And uh, that was and your then. friend Sean. Yeah, Sean Peck, and then okay. it was it was done. He's very impulsive, so he's like, "All right, this is what we're doing." It just it? felt right. Yeah. So Sean signed up. Shout out to Sean Peck. Yeah. Okay. Um. So that's how he, we met. Yeah. Can we do a little backstory about how you two met and how long you've been together? And I was telling my wife, you know, sometimes I'll say, "Hey, Yanni, I'm having a podcast later. This has happened." Just so you know, I'm having a guy over for the episode who did do six years in prison. Something like that. That's an example. Just a heads up so you know. She's like, oh, my God. And so it's not always real. So you were talking about Aaron Murphy. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, so it, it's, it's, it's not always a positive uh, spin. Okay. However, in your case, I was able to say, Yanni, listen to this. I have a guest scheduled tomorrow. Not only did Matt help us fix our dryer to check mark in the positive direction, but also you guys have been together. You did a, a transplant for your wife to live. You guys have been married for many years. So I presented you two as like a, she's like, oh, she's working, but she would like to meet you all. Yeah. So you guys are much more wholesome of guests than what the Kelly Patrick show always gets. So let's dive into that a little bit. Who are you guys? How'd you meet? Um, how did that start? Yeah, so um, I guess it was 1990. Um, we just happened to be at the Taco Bell. Um, in Hillview. In Hillview together at the same time. And um, he was having a conversation with someone in front of me, and I was just eavesdropping and uh, knew the answer to his question. Really? And, this is cool. Yeah, and, and answered his question that night. Do you remember what the question was? Yeah, he was talking to his friend about who had won um, the North Bullet football game okay. that night. Uh, they had not gone, obviously. But my friend and I had gone to the game and knew who won, so I just offered up that information that night. Um, didn't have a conversation with him. Um, left, um, actually left, and then drove around, you know, as people tended to do in the 90s. Cruising uh, Preston Highway. Cruising Preston, yeah, looking to see if we could find he and his friend. Uh, we did not. But then a few months later, we were 
at another sporting event, and I saw him at the concession stand. But again, he would not speak to me. Very shy. Very shy. Is that accurate? At that time, you were very shy. Yeah, of all the opportunities I had to speak with her, that that would have been probably the best opportunity. Hey, I remember you from Taco Bell. Blah blah blah. You know, I didn't have a I didn't have a good game. Like I was very nervous around. But you had noticed her, and you you had thought she was pretty. Oh yeah, absolutely. You just didn't. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, my friend and I are actually sitting in a long line of traffic, you know, to get out of the parking lot after this event is over. And um, my friend says, "There's there's a guy running towards our car, like he's at a full sprint." Um, and it was Matt, and he he knocked on the window and. And I rolled it down, and he said, hey, um, can I get your phone number? Okay. And I said, no, um, actually, we just got a new phone number that is not listed. Um, and my parents have said, please do not give this phone number out. Um, and so I didn't. But I took his, and then I waited about two weeks, and I gave him a call. And the rest is history. So this was, of course, landlines. Yes, landlines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or an answer machine. So okay, yeah, yeah okay. So yeah, you sure. you waited a couple of weeks and call, do you remember how that call went? Um, I, I don't think it lasted too long. But he he answered. He was just he's the one who answered. Do you think? I think he did answer. Okay. The phone. Um, and then uh, we had our first date where we went to Chi Chi's. Okay. And uh, we went to see the movie Misery. Oh, okay. Is that yeah. with uh, Kathy Bates? Yes. I've seen that. Yeah. Oh. That's a pretty crazy movie, or a pretty wild movie, right? It was. It yeah. was when, wild. when she saw me at Taco Bell, I had a brand new car, a 1991 Geostorm with Ferrari ground effects. Brand new. <laughs> so she saw me with a nice car, but when I went to pick her up, it, it was after, um, after Christmas, Christmas, and my car had been T-boned. My brand new car, I, these older couple were going to see the nuns at St. Rita. Catholic Church and deliver some cookies and they ran through a stop sign and totaled my car. So I had to borrow my grandfather's like 81 Chevette that smelled like gasoline and oat sweaty man. So I went to pick her up for our first date in that Chevette. And, uh, but, and she's still. Carrie, do you remember seeing the car and thinking like, what, what's this? Yeah. What happened? Bait and switch. What's going on? (laughs) No, I didn't care. Okay. I, I really didn't care. So the rest is history. Is that kind of, that's the, that's the start. How long have you been married? That's the start. Uh, we got married in 94. So you met in 90 so and got married in 94. Almost 30 years next year. 30 years, yeah. Okay. And you have children? Two girls. Yes, Paige is um, 21. She just graduated from EKU and got married in June. Um, and Morgan is 19 and she is a sophomore at EKU as well. So they're both in Richmond, and we are enjoying the um, empty nest stage of life. So, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so not only would I say in 2023 is it somewhat uncommon to have someone who's been married that long, right? Would we agree to that? I wonder statistically how common that is these days. I don't know. Uh, I would say among our friends, it's the norm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they're all like evangelical Christians. I'm like, they're people that we go to church with, like our, our close friend group. Yeah. 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 yeah, but we both come from divorced parents. So it's important to us, like, to 
you know, keep a foundation for our, our marriage and our family and ha- have not our, have our kids go through the same thing that we had to go through. Mm-hmm. I, I grew up with divorced parents and had to travel weekend to weekend. She, her parents uh, divorced when she was in college. But um, so it was a little bit different for her, but it still can throw everything off when parents are going through all that stuff. So, okay. So the most substantial or the the strongest selling point for me toward my wife was that Matt was able to donate his kidney to you in 2016. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Walk me through what prompted that. Okay. Um, you were healthy when you yes. met in 1990. You were you were healthy. Oh yeah, cruising along until um, 2014. So um, in 2014, um, actually, just randomly out of the blue, um, I'm, I'm working out. It's Christmas break, um, and I just I had like the most crushing fatigue. Like, I, I can't finish this workout, which was totally weird. Um, stopped working out. But like many women, just, you know, kind of brushed that off. You know, it's Christmas break. We're busy. We've got young children. There's a lot going on. Um, I'm, I'm not going to worry. You know, we'll worry about that later. I think men do that more than women, actually. But I think women probably do, right? Men are like, ah, God, that feels horrible. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. But that's basically what you did. Yeah, yeah, I did. And um, it was specifically very low energy level? Yes, in that moment. Now, I do think I rebounded after that. You know, it was Christmas break. You know, you're busy. There's lots going on. I didn't really think about it again um, until, like, January. And um, I noticed that my ankles were a little bit swollen, which also was weird. Um, so, you know, Matt and I are really active, both work out, eat well. At the time, we were juicing literal pounds of um, fruits and vegetables every day, like eating super clean. Um, you said juicing. I was hoping you meant steroids. <laughs> no, no, like actual vegetables and, and fruit. Um, so much that we would have to go to a wholesale warehouse and buy um, the fruits and vegetables. So, so you guys were very ha- healthy. Yes, health, very healthy. Health and fitness has been an, uh, a priority for you ever since you met. Yes. So we were vegetarians at the time. Okay. No meat. So just, you know, all the things. All Ten the things years into it. That you hear about, you know, do these things and long term you will you will be healthy. Okay. Um, doing all those things. So I um, make an appointment with my my doctor who I never saw because I was not sick. Um, so on the occasion of a sinus infection or whatever, I would I would see this person. Otherwise, not, but I had, I had a relationship with him. I had, I had seen him since I was a child. Okay. So he knows who I am. I go and he does a bunch of labs on this, this lab panel. Um, and almost every lab came back out of whack, elevated too high or too low. Um, and he really dismissed all of that information. He wanted to prescribe me four or five medications, something to fix kind of each one of those things that was not in range. And um, I was not happy with that. I was on zero medication, at, you know, nothing. I, I had no issues going into this. So um, the fact that this was like the fix for all of these things was startling to it, me. It just felt wrong. 
it felt wrong. Like my um, cholesterol was like 400 and where it had normally been, you know, 120. Um, my blood pressure was crazy high. Just all these things that were happening. And I, I got back in the car that day and I, I had the printout of my labs and I, I took a photo of my labs and I sent them to a friend of mine who works for a nephrologist um, so people who deal with kidneys. I didn't know that at the time that anything was going on with my kidneys, but that was one of the little markers on the labs that was out of whack. And uh, she immediately texted back and said, something something major is happening, and I'm going to get you an appointment. With so, a different doctor. With a different doctor. Nephrologist. Yes. So, um, you know, there's a long wait to get in to see any kind of specialist, but because she worked there, um, I, I got in pretty immediately. So things happened like in rapid succession. I, I got those labs. I went to see the nephrologist. She scheduled a biopsy. I went in just a few days later, um, did a kidney biopsy, um, and then found out that I had AL amyloidosis, so, which is like a blood cancer, um, kind of like the cousin of multiple myeloma. So uh, a terrible diagnosis most of the time. Uh, doesn't happen to people that are, you know, under 60, uh, mostly men. So it was very random uh, and shocking and, and kind of rocked our world for a little bit. Did you relatively catch it early, relatively, or is there anything like that? Uh, well, I mean, they, they said if we don't do anything six to eight months, you'll be dead. Yeah, wow. without treatment without treatment so at the time um like when I had those original labs I was down to like 40 percent kidney function um between the two <laughs> kidneys I had about 40 percent that's the results the nephrologist told you about yes they said yes. your kidneys are not doing good yeah this is and then uh within two or three weeks that had even dropped down to like 30 percent and so it was rapidly declining um and I got an appointment with an oncologist um, at U of L, and you know, shout out to James Graham Brown. Yeah, to James Graham Brown. They're fabulous people, and uh, crazy good things are happening there. The James Graham Brown Cancer Center, yes, is relatively good for around here or across the country. It would be considered to be a very good place. Um, so for amyloidosis, it is not a a center of excellence, but I think that a lot of that is because um, amyloidosis one is rare. Um, so it's at bigger places like Vandy is a center for excellence. Uh, Mayo is a that's, center for excellence. Vandy's not far. I mean, that's yeah. Um, but I my my original doctor um, he did have a lot of knowledge of amyloidosis, um, and then even the doctors that I had he he left and went to UK kind of. As, almost as soon as I started treatment, and then I had another doctor there, um, Dr. Rodriguez, and, and he uh, talked to people all across the country, you know, connections that he had about me, like how are we going to treat, what's the standard protocol for this, um, and what he wanted to do was the basic, you know, like this is what we do for patients who have AL amyloidosis. And I want to hear about what the, the basic um, response to amyloidosis diagnosis normally is. But before we do that, in 2014, your original uh, primary care physician tried to 
prescribe five medications to treat each specific ailment. I feel in 2023, it's almost in vogue to question those types of recommendations. And maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist, so for me, it seems like that, but that doesn't mean it is for everyone else. Do you feel in 2014, you were going into it thinking, hmm, hope he's not just going to prescribe me a bunch of stuff and you, you, were you skeptical prior to 2014 of those types of, of doctor recommendations instead of treating the root cause going into 2014? Were you skeptical of the medical industry? Well, I think in defense of the doctor, like she was so healthy up to that point. And this is why I talked to about anybody, whether you're a young person in your 20s or somebody in your 30s, 40s, is get regular physical and lab work because that's what the doctor was missing, a baseline of seeing where the data was going. And he didn't have that. So he's just basically going off his experience, and they call it practicing medicine. So he's just giving an educated guess based on these symptoms and what he sees every day. And you're only in there for a few minutes. Like Mm -hmm. he's making an informed decision based on what he's got, and he didn't have a lot of information to go by. But – but had known me for the majority of my life. So basically the only primary care I ever, even though I randomly saw him, he was the guy. So I, I did see him. He did know me. I was a very healthy 39-year-old woman um, who didn't present as someone who was unhealthy. So I felt like, Regardless, it probably required a little more thought than that. So it sounds like you're both presenting different sides of this. I hate to stir up drama. No, I hate I'm, to stir up drama. That's the least, my least favorite thing. But do you disagree on this? Are you well, saying I think that if he was saw doing his job from, and maybe he was being a little, perhaps a little negligent? But if he saw nine years from 30 up to 39, seen like so the had, data you're trends. Saying had, had Carrie went into the doctor more regularly... Yes. He could have recognized patterns. I don't disagree with that. So in a way, some of the onus could fall on you. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. And I do agree that um, we should get physicals every year. Okay. You know, and... and Full panel. Full panel, yeah. Okay. My girls, you know, my girls are 19 and 21. And and I just talked about this um, with my oldest uh, about how important that is. Like, start right now and just, you know, get... Insurance pays for a physical every year, so get a physical. And then you will always have those numbers that you can look back on. Because even if I think doctors aren't being super diligent about looking at trends, you you know, you're your own advocate. Like, you've got to be in charge of your health care. So, it, you know, I could have looked at that myself and said, oh, my gosh, these, these things are happening. And maybe I would have caught it much earlier. So that doctor didn't necessarily do anything wrong. I don't think so. I, I don't. I mean, it's hard to say. I, I feel like. How long do you think your kidneys were struggling? We don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I definitely had some signs that I just didn't know. Um, like like some like back what? pain. Um, I get that. I, yeah, I get that from. But again, like I was like, oh, this, you know, I lifted hard. I was lifting weights. I was on the Stairmaster. I was, I I ran, whatever, like just always dismissing those kinds of things. It wasn't until I had a symptom that I could not dismiss, like the swollen ankles. Like, oh, that's a startling thing. You know, I took off my socks and shoes from working out and I was like, oh, They were definitively swollen. Yes, this is. And that's a common kidney uh, symptom. And and then the amyloidosis is a, you're, 
your bone marrow produces these stem cells and proteins, and they get misfolded, and it over time, you know, it, it could affect the liver, the heart, um, different areas of the body, but it chose to stick to the kidneys. And it's like the, the doctor described it when we first went in to see the uh, James Graham Brown. He said, imagine taking your kidneys that are like a sponge and smearing peanut butter all over them. You're just not able to filter your blood through that kidney. With all. So it, it was a slow um, process. Sti- yeah, yeah, process. Yeah. So it just eventually caught up and then started seeing the symptoms pretty quick. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was kind of, it was very fast after that. So um, that was like February-ish when I, I did the, um, the kidney biopsy and got the definitive um, diagnosis, which they have to send to like, mine got sent to Vandy. Um, they do a, they call it a Congo red stain, and that's really the only definitive way to diagnose amyloidosis. So they did that um, and then got with the doctors um, for a treatment plan. And in April, I started uh, 16 rounds of, of chemo that I would go to James Graham Brown every week to do. And when I cut you off earlier, you were getting ready to say with the nephrologist standard of care, whatever, what the standard way they deal with that would be, and that is chemo. Yes. Uh-huh. It was like a combo of uh, several different medications and then a shot that I would get in my belly every week. So, And you had to go to Vandy for that? No, Vandy is where they sent um, my biopsy for it to be definitively um, diagnosed as amyloidosis. But no, I did all my treatment at James Graham Brown. Um, it was the, the original chemo was pills, um, two different kinds, and then um, the shot that I would take. So I didn't lose my hair in that process okay. at, at that point. So um, to just look at me kind of in the beginning, you know, people would say, you look, you look great, you know, um, because you just, it was hard to see like really what was happening. Um, yeah. So finished chemo in August. Um, so February is when you started six months later in August, you're done with chemo. Done with chemo. Yeah. We left and went on vacation. We took the girls. Um, We knew that we were getting ready for, um, we were going to get ready for stem cell harvest. So I was going to have to do a 10-day inpatient, um, you know, in the hospital. Um, So. And at this point, in August of 2014, it looked like you were going to, you, in your mind, you were thinking, I very well may be passing away soon. Yeah, I mean, I had a, a good response to chemo, but the, the most dangerous part of the whole process is the stem cell transplant. Um, and then on top of that, uh, I had to start dialysis because at this point I'm down to like 8% kidney function. And you feel um, awful. Yeah, you feel terrible. But on top of that, um, the chemo that I was about to get for the stem cell transplant, which was super high dose chemo, um, my body had no way of filtering it out because my kidneys weren't working. So, um, I had to, I had to do dialysis and that in and of itself was a huge ordeal. So Matt, this was probably a pretty dramatic experience in your household. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I had conversations with the kids, um, because we basically just packed up and went to the hospital. We lived there for 
basically like six weeks, and my girls How lived with my mom. How old were the girls at this time? Fifth and seventh grade. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were young. And, you know, we had serious conversations of like, you know, mommy may not make it through this. You know, the, when they give her a high-dose chemo, it's basically for a few days of just keeping your blood pressure at a level, just keeping you alive, killing everything off, and then giving your stem cells back and just sort of rebooting your system like a like a, redoing a hard drive on a computer. Like we're just going to mm-hmm. clean it off and install new software. And that's basically what we think. So it was dangerous, you know, but they um, – so we had conversations with our kids like, hey, this is serious. You know, mom and dad are going to go away for a few weeks and you'll be able to come up and visit at times. But, you know, this is. You all had family who was very helpful through this experience? Yeah, we did. We l- Luckily, everybody is close here um, in the Louisville area. So we were lucky in, in that aspect. But, yeah, so um, like just the whole process of dialysis it was startling I was lucky enough to be able to do dialysis at home, but that meant all the equipment came to our house. So we we got rid of our dining room table and chairs. We basically set up like a mini dialysis clinic in our living room so that um, I could be present, you know, while everything is going on. So, you know, we're, we're doing dinner and homework and all the things while I would run dialysis for three hours, three days a week. And I'm 40 right now. You were 39 at that time. I was 39. Wow. She got high-dose chemo on her 40th birthday. Yeah. They gave her the chemo, like the worst and the most expensive present you'll ever get, you know. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the chemo takes us up until your age 40. Uh, is that 2015 or? 14, still. Still 2014. Um, what happened next? This is October, yeah. Um. So um, I had to I had to go to so that they could collect my stem cells. Um, you know, we needed as many as they could get to do the transplant. Um, well, okay. Sorry to interrupt. No, it's okay. At some point, you you mentioned transplant. Where did that word come up? The stem cell transplant or the kidney? Oh, transplant? okay, okay. Stem cell transplant. S- stem cells sorry, first. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. Stem okay. cell transplant was first um we weren't even discussing kidney transplant because um i just was too sick to even be you were not a candidate right i was not a candidate at that point and didn't at that point didn't know that i would ever be a candidate for um really need to be considered in remission you know in a sense yeah i would have had to achieve full remission in order to to do that so we got ready to do collection um some people do collection as an outpatient, but they were worried about my heart function. I did not, I didn't have amyloidosis in my heart. I had already done the heart biopsy, so we knew that it wasn't there. But I was having some some issues with my heart, um, and they were worried about like fluent fluid balance with the um, with my kidneys and the dialysis. So they wanted me to be in the hospital for these ten days, so they would roll in this huge centrifuge every day and they would hook me up and then it would take out my blood separate the stem cells and then they would give me my blood back so it was a cool process and the people involved um the lady who ran the centrifuge her name was helen and she was awesome like she just she was great really everybody we we didn't encounter one person that wasn't amazing during this whole process so yeah okay and that went well 
It did. Um, we ended up only getting like 7 million stem cells. They really wanted 10. Um, apparently, they like to put some back and like just leave them frozen in case I needed to do a stem cell transplant in the future. Uh, but they decided to use them all. So I did my 10 days. We got out of the hospital. The next day we left. We took the girls. We went to the beach um, for like a, you know. What beach? Hilton Head. No, okay. we went no to Destin. Oh, Destin. Oh, okay. Yeah, Destin. that's right. Yeah, a friend of ours let us use her condo. Yeah. No. We went um, just as kind of a last a last vacation. You know, we knew that um, some crazy times were about to happen. So it's good to get away. These photos that, that you texted to me, Matt, now would be a good time for, for that, some of them for you to tell. And, of course, we're doing audio only for the sake of the podcast. Yeah. But if you could walk me through what these photos are. So that's after uh, the stem cell transplant. Um, and we haven't really gotten to this point yet. Okay. So okay. For, are, for any, this, are any of these photos relevant? So all, all of those haven't, haven't really happened yet. Okay. The, yeah, okay. the first ones. Um, so we come back from vacation and, um, I'm scheduled, you know, to arrive at the hospital on a certain day. Um, I go and get settled in and then the next day, um, which is my 40th birthday, we, we do the first round of high dose chemo. So, um, it, and it was, it was awful. It was almost immediately awful. Like, as soon as they, like, hooked me up, I got sick, and uh, it was kind of crazy. So they put, like, an IV into your arm, and that's – how do they administer chemo? I don't even know. Well, I had a central line, so I had it, you know, like a – Pick line. Sort of. That's usually in your arm, I think. But this okay. is, like um, – goes, like, right into a main artery. Okay. And then it has, like, four – you know, so they can hook you up to multiple things at multiple times. So I'm – you know, I'm getting fluids continuously, and um, that's kind of, that's how they administer the chemo. So the chemo was maybe some of the worst days of your life. It as far as just kind of mis- misery level. Um, a few days later. Yeah. Okay. I mean, okay. that day was not pretty miserable. Um, because of my kidneys, they divided it over two days. So most people would just get the one, the one big dose, but I got it in two days. So that day, that day was awful. Um, but they adjusted so that the next day was not quite as awful. They gave me some, you know, medications in the beginning to kind of help with all of that. Um, so the next day wasn't, it wasn't bad, but it basically, um, it like took all the skin off my tongue. Like I got lots of blisters. Um, it was, it was pretty horrible. Basically like a chemical burn inside your body. Wow. Her mouth, tongue. Anything in my mind to try to compare that to? Yeah. Maybe drinking something hot would burn your tongue? Kind of similar? Skin off your tongue, you said? Yeah, like it all blistered up and then it did all eventually come off, but it was, it was awful. Yeah. It was, it was terrible. So they, you know, they give me back all of my cells and, then for several days to weeks, it's basically just balancing out your fluids and your blood pressure and kind of keeping you alive so that these cells that they've taken out and spun and done all these things to and given you back can like, you know, root in there and um, kind of take over again and re- reboot the system. Okay. So the chemo, 
was extreme. It was extreme. As people know. Yeah. Or as we've heard, I guess, yeah. that chemo is really rough on your, your, your body. Um, how did you, relatively, how did you take to the chemo? So I did very well with the like the 16 rounds of chemo that I had done leading up to this high dose chemo. Okay. Um and I did okay with this. I mean, it's you know, when I was going in for this procedure, the doctor said we're basically going to take you as close to death as we can get you and you not die. And then the point will be to kill off as much as we can before we kind of, you know, reboot your system in hopes that these stem cells will reboot everything and then you don't have to deal with these issues again. Or maybe, you know, for a long time. We don't know. We don't know how long remission will last. Um, so I knew it was going to be awful, but you, there's nothing they can tell you to prepare you for how awful it is. And lots of people do chemo. It, you know, it's bad. It's... It's poison, basically. So, we we trained with Chris Lane, mm-hmm. the police officer who was shot in the head. Yep, when he survived, and now he's back to training. I like to say to him, like, "Oh, you're so uh, come on, you got shot in the head, big deal, boo hoo hoo." Mm-hmm. You ever jokingly like, "Oh, you have chemo, oh boo hoo hoo." You ever joke with that? Oh, Matt? we joke a lot about okay, yeah. a lot of yeah. this, this stuff. That's how we survived okay. this whole okay. experience. We, yeah, was joking. Like, yeah, we. <laughs> We talk about all the different... We had a conversation last week about just the different seasons of our marriage. Mm. Like in 2014, like, you know, you've basically got a death sentence and now, you know, we've... I have to step up. You know, I've got to help be an encouragement to her and I've got to help love her through this and like be be positive and, you know, we make light of a lot of stuff, you know, but it was there was a lot of days that she was crying and you know, she beautiful woman, like she had to go and shave her head off Mm -hmm. all of her hair. And then, you know, that just changed your, you know, women put a lot into their appearance and you want to look good and stuff. And then you got to shave your hair off. And then you, once you get the high dose chemo, it just all falls out. So you go completely bald and um, you know, and everything's painful and you just, she swelled up with, from the, the steroids and you know, just, it, just a basically a mess for for days and weeks. I am on my second marriage. My first marriage lasted over seven years, or uh, just short of seven years, and we didn't have any legitimate. I, why did we get divorced? I, you know, there was we just didn't. You know, I don't know. Okay, so obviously that didn't work out for me. You guys had quite the challenge, Matt. I assume this was obviously. I'm not guessing. You were thinking like, oh, well, maybe I'll just start over with someone else or anything like that. But like. That couldn't have been easy on either of you. No, it was... And, and, and marriage is not easy, I guess is my point. Regardless. Right. Um, would you say this was specifically a test of your marriage? Did you see it that way? Or, or, or well, you guys, in, in a felt, way you guys it, have always felt like your bond was... Oh, it that, made it that, stronger. That, that wasn't... Okay. Yeah, wow. I, Definitely did, I, I never felt like it was a test of our marriage. Wow, no. that's awesome. Yeah, that's good. So you guys have... Nothing's perfect, but you guys have always felt pretty much like you're on the same team. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that was a that was a choice, like, from the beginning. You know, we said, this is it. We're, you know, this is it. This is when we're going to get married and, and we're going to have children. And it's not, like, divorce is not going to be part of the conversation. We said that from the beginning. So 
I do think we have, you know, we've lived through many seasons of life, but um, I never felt in that moment like this is a test of our marriage. I felt like um, this is just a test. Yeah, it could be a test of your faith. Could it be, you know, like why me? You know, a lot of people that go through traumatic experiences like this get a get a cancer diagnosis. They either internally like just close up. They don't want anybody to know what's going on in their life. Mm. We chose to like, all right, we're going to share this with our church, our friends, our family, our coworkers. We were both public school teachers and we worked at the same school together. And it was, you know, just the more that we shared, the more that people loved on us and cared for us and helped us through like this whole experience. Your church community has been instrumental and helpful throughout this entire process, I assume? Yeah, through we, we joined um, Highview in 2006. What's the yeah. name of the church? Highview Baptist Church. Highview Baptist okay. Church. Fagenbush Campus. Fagenbush Campus um, in 2006. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, we were, they're our best friends, you know. They're, they're our people. Yeah, and they rallied around us um, 100%. They watched our kids. They... Um, brought us meals, they collected money, they did gift cards, they, you know, they came to the hospital, they, they did all the things. They, they did everything. Yeah. Okay, so I think on our timeline of this, we are just about to the point where we were establishing that the chemo, up until the real high dose of the chemo, everything had kind of taken well with you. The actual, once you got the most extreme, highest dose of the chemo, which was on your birthday. Yeah. October of of 2014. Mm -hmm. 2014. Um, What's your birthday? October 14th. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My wife is October 6th. That's our anniversary. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, 1990, October, 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 94, October 6th, 94. Okay. I'll know everything about you guys here. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. We're an open book. We we we're an open book. Why are you an open book? Um, at the time, we felt like um, we wanted one as many people praying for us as possible. Like we're going to tell everybody. And then after this experience, um, we've just we've been in contact with many people who were going through similar situations or were sick or were contemplating, you know, this medical procedure or that. And um, it's been good to just be able to talk to people, tell them our story and, and try to help in that way. So at its core, at the beginning, asking for prayers, not being shy about that. Right. Um, so your faith has been a big part of you being an open book, it sounds like. Because you wanted to, not only to ask for prayers, but, posi- you know, when appropriate to positively, like, impact others who are going through similar stories. Right. Okay, so the high dose of chemo was pretty extreme. You ended up losing your, every piece of hair across your whole body. Everything. All uh, of it. Yeah. Did you, do you were losing weight? and? Oh, yeah, super skinny. Uh, and I tell people, you know, I, I always wanted to be thin, mm-hmm. like, you know, Thin is the the goal for most women um, until you're chemo skinny. And then Mm -hmm. you're, you know, you're like, this is not as important as I always thought it was, you know. So, yeah, but all of it's terribly sick. Um, And I was in the hospital until like the beginning of November. So it was a, 
was a long stint in there. Um, by the end, I I did feel a little bit better, but you know, just like I was not dying, <laughs> but not awesome. In hindsight, without the chemo, you wouldn't have survived. I would not have. Okay. So, although I was trying to present it earlier, give us an open forum to be critical of the medical industry. <laughs> Actually, in your case, it's quite the endorsement. Yeah, I mean, um, it's amazing what we can do. You know, it's amazing. Some people are anti-chemo. Is that common? Um, I'm sure it probably is. And and maybe if it had been a different diagnosis um, or if there had been an alternate treatment, like there just wasn't anything else. And there isn't even today, 10 there, years later. Uh, you know, they, they've come a long way and they've put a lot of money into research for amyloidosis. So they are doing some like uh, immunotherapy um trials and and many things are are um kind of in the trial phase right now um and i i have another doctor who's in cincinnati he has been my my consult during this whole time so just a second opinion about everything that's happened and uh you know he said the last time i saw him he said great advances have been made so if you were to not be in remission anymore, like we have many more choices now of, of things that we could do um, to extend your life. So. so you were in the hospital until November, you said, of 2014? Yeah. How did things go after that? It was rough. So, you know, I've had this stem cell transplant. Um, I've had high-dose chemo. Um, I come home. I still have to do dialysis three days a week for three hours. Matt eventually has to go back to work. The kids have to go back to school. You know, like life is life is just moving on. And uh, it was hard, like many, many hard days. But we were blessed in a sense that, you know, our coworkers in Bully County Public Schools donated like 100 sick days. Like she could stay home and we were not financially impacted because she still got her pay because teacher could donate their sick days. So we were blessed in a sense like that because a lot of people aren't, you know, in these situations. So people were literally taking their own sick days and giving them to you. Yeah. And then they actually, the next year, were short a sick day themselves. So, and they Is get replenished you, each you year. You get a certain amount every year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but many people chose to give me a day of their own so that I could stay home. And then They did a couple rounds of that. We do have yeah. a, a sick leave bank that we were not in at the time. Um we are now because those are also days that you can use, you know, for legitimate reasons if you need to. But yeah. Okay. So of course, and we're going to continue with the story here. Um, but of course, takeaways from today's episode, one of them will be to sign up, donate your organs if you were to pass away, things like that. But also in hindsight, um, see your primary care physician at least once a year, try to get full lab work done as often as possible. Also, in hindsight, if you could do it again, you would have signed up for that, would you say, sick leave bank? Yeah, like a bank of days that you could access if, if you needed to. Yeah. So you guys opted not to sign up for that. I'm sure I have. Because we were healthy. That type yeah. That's yeah, what we, I mean. yeah. yeah, we did. There was no reason to give away our sick days, you know, to put, put them in the bank basically for someone else to use on for whatever occasion it was a relatively new program too you know that the county had started so it just wasn't on our radar sure when you're young yeah. and yeah, healthy you don't think about we didn't think about it yeah i'm sure i've passed up 
many things like that too. So I'm not saying like you. Oh, why didn't you guys do that? Yeah. But in hindsight, if, had you been able to, in hindsight, you know, that's a good cause. If there's such thing as a good cause, that would be one. Yeah, yeah. And you know, lots of people do um, stem cell transplants for various reasons. So there are multiple cancers that are treated with stem cell transplants. Um, and you know, a lot of people see the be the match.org where you can, they'll, they'll do the little cheek, cheek swab and then see if you match with someone else. Um, and then you can actually donate your stem cells to someone. Um, I used my own. That's a very specific type of stem cell transplant, but there are also stem cell transplants where you use someone else's stem cells, um, in the process. So my wife is a medical laboratory technician. And for some reason, she's always, since she's gotten into that, she's always consistently enjoyed donating blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something that people are just kind of into, right? Just yeah. philanthropic or humanitarian. That's the, probably the easiest way to be a donor, I would say, because yeah. that's always a need, uh, especially if you have rare blood. Yeah. yeah, I got a lot of blood throughout the whole process. So Okay, so through November of 2014, Started, you said you were not, didn't feel quite like death. You were getting a li- maybe a little bit better. Right, yeah, a little bit better. Um, we called her Carrie 2.0 after that. So Yeah, Matt would, Matt would leave for work, and he would leave me like these things you have to do. You have to get on the treadmill. I want you to walk a certain amount of time. I want you to drink this many bottles of water. Like, it, you know, he, he was bossing me around, even, even though well, he was going to be at work that day. Yeah, so. you, you have to have, like... When somebody's in the hospital or somebody's sick, you've got to have like a, a be a patient advocate and stuff. And being a cur- like you need to get up before, during the, the stem cell transplant, right before she got the high dose chemo. Like we would go on walks at the hospital, climb stairs, you know, just to keep moving, keep exercising, keep your body in healthy shape. And then after the transplant, once she could get up, she had this big pole, which you saw the picture of, and we would walk laps. The first day after the transplant, we walked one lap. She was exhausted. Go back to bed. Second day, we do two laps. Every day, we'd build upon and 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 the, to the point where there's other patients up there. There was one guy who was a convict in orange. You know, basically he's in shackles, but he's out walking too. He had a, a transplant, but he's out walking with his um, uh, Jefferson County um, uh, corrections, corrections officer. officer, who's around, with them around the clock. He's out walking with him, but I'm you like, Carrie. being forced to? Well, they just want to get up and move. They need to move. But, you know, I'm saying, telling her, do not let the guy in shackles beat you. You know, like, you've got to keep moving and move faster than that guy. Okay? So we no would. No concern about safety. You <laughs> said, don't, do not let him beat you. Right. Yeah. You, instead, you mean, like, no. don't lose in a race. Right. We're racing now. I see, We're I beating see. them in laps. I see. You know, so. Yeah. And so it was, health has been a p- big part of this that even on the worst days, we're still doing something, you know, we're moving, we're getting up, even if it's just walking to the bathroom and back, you know, like however sick you are, we're going to still get up and move. Laying here is not an option. And as Matt, of course, being a male, I think our brains work more and like, Oh, how can I help? Like, okay, we can do this, this, and this It has to be something substantive. Mm -hmm. Like the, um, I can sit here and be like emotionally supportive, try to be more emotionally supportive. That is valuable. I'm not saying it's not, but the male brain works more like, okay, this is what I can do. For the fixers. Yeah. So Matt's role was, I'm going to make sure she does this, drinks this amount of water, walks up and down the stairs. Has that been kind of Matt's role throughout this? I mean, definitely in the beginning, um, 
I will say I am convinced that I survived the whole ordeal because I was in good shape before mm, it okay. all started. So, um, and I would have conversations with people and they would be like, I bet you're so mad. Like you, you know, you lived this really healthy lifestyle and you, you didn't eat meat and you, you know, you spent all the money on juicing and did all these things and you still got sick. And I, I said, it, actually, the opposite is true because I 100% feel like um, leading up to this diagnosis, those are the things that really kept me alive. Like if had I not been in as good a shape as I was at the time, I don't, you know, I don't know. And your doctor seemingly probably agreed. Agreed with yeah. that, yes. Yeah. They typically don't see healthy people come into those doctors. Super offices. healthy. Like, this is my yeah. number one hobby is to be healthy. Yeah. That's yeah. not the, the common the, person. In Usually. the hospital, they would bring, which, you know, L is a teaching hospital. They have students all the time. But they would literally bring rounds of students into my room every day, like, you know, like I was at the zoo. Okay, this is Miss Murphy. She's a 40-year-old healthy female who has AL amyloidosis. And, you know, they're all over there scribbling on their on their little pads of paper like, uh, wow, you know, we don't know if we'll see you again. My doctor, what did Dr. Chow call me? The, oh, the white rhino. The, yeah, the white rhino. Meaning like, rare. Rare. You're so rare. Because of your health heading into it. Because yeah. of my age and the fact that I was a female and just, oh, you know, okay. this is, okay. because this is it's not, not normally how it presents. Yeah. She would typically be a 70-year-old female. Overweight. Male. Yeah. Or yeah, male. Okay. Yeah, males. male. Yeah, yeah mostly right. males. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So we sort of ground along, you know, grounding along, you know, after that, doing dialysis, getting, she was getting healthier and stronger, and then basically got the the all clear for, you know, she's made it past the point where we could call it remission, even though there's no cure for what she has, this could come back at any time. That's sort of hanging over her head all the time. But, you know, then they, we are allowed to start the, the kidney transplant process, you know, a year and a half later. That started in 2016. Allowed well, to. Okay. like December of 2015 is when my doctor said, okay, I would feel... I would feel confident giving you someone else's kidney because basically that was the issue. You know, do we want to take a healthy kidney and put it into someone who potentially um, doesn't have a, a long life? You know, it's not going to have a long lifespan. So we, we're not sure if this transplant is going to work, this stem cell transplant, if you're going to fully achieve remission. Um, so if we don't know if you'll be a good candidate. So, so that was December of 2015. Um, it was when you guys kind of decided to go forward with, or explore really the, the transplant route. Yes. Um, prior to that, when did it start to come up that, Hey, might need a transplant? Oh, from the beginning. From the beginning. It it was either stay on dialysis for my whole life or, or get a transplant. Which is not fun. Those are the two options. And I'm very naive when it comes to medical things. Um, at what point did we think Matt was possibly the Superman that he is? So we were into the process. It's a long, long process um, if you're going to do a transplant. Like there's, there's a lot involved. Um, testing, you know, just the, the workup of your body and then um, making sure you're healthy enough. And then they, they, they do a pretty extensive On you. workup, yes, if you're, if you're going to be a, a transplant candidate. Um, and and one, once again, your health was the reason 
right. your ability to be walking and doing everything doctors suggested you do. And then you're like, okay, I'm a candidate. That was the reason you're even a candidate. Right. Yes. Um, and then almost immediately we had multiple people who reached out and said, um, I'd like to get tested. Like I'd like so, to get tested to see, um, if they are. A so that is one of our nurses from, this is my nurse, Melissa. And she was one of the first people who said, I will, um, I'll be tested to see if I'm a match for you. Oh, and wow. Because possibly yeah. Yeah, give you a kidney. So she went through the whole process. That nurse did. Yes. Mm-hmm. And went, and she could be a cross match with, she wasn't a, a paired match for Carrie, but she could be, we could do a cross match with somebody else in the country or this region that could donate to Carrie. And mm. then she could donate to them. And that we could bring everybody together, all four people at the at Jewish hospital at one time and do the transplant that day. So that swapping was out like a kidney burner. swap. You know, we we knew that maybe that might be a possibility and then we had other people who were reaching out a lot of them were just reaching out to us like what's the process? What will I have to do? What will this look like? How much time off work will I have to you know, you know, legitimate questions that sure, you would have yeah, before yeah. you give one of your organs to someone else. And um Matt said, I you know, I don't I don't really know all the answers to these questions. I'm just going to go through the process and, and see what it's like. And that way I can really tell people, you know, this is what the workup is going to be like. This is what, you know, this is what you're going to go through, whatever. And um, then that's kind of how it all started. Like, okay. The cross match thing you said, that's mm-hmm. an interesting, is that common? Sounds like it's probably pretty common. You find your husband is willing to donate his kidney, but he's not a match. Someone in the same situation in Minnesota, the husband says, or the whatever, says they'll do it, but so you guys can then swap. Yeah. It's a lot more work coordinating, like, all that together, but it's, I think it's pretty common. Okay. Um, Interesting. You guys, of course, hadn't heard of it prior to this. Oh, no. I hadn't heard of it prior to just now. Well, actually, I had watched an episode of Grey's Anatomy where they had done it. I apologize. So, (laughs) I I knew that it was a thing, but um, I'm pretty sure that the transplants um, happen in regions. So, like, we're in a specific region, like Kentucky, Georgia, whatever. Like, we collaborate with other transplant centers. Why? Um, Why why is it regional? I think just location you know like we're close to these other centers. for people to travel that's yeah. a that's a big expense for for people to to a lot of times you'd have to go to a regional place and then you would go in the hospital donate your kidney this is on the donor side you donate your kidney then you'd have to you really can't travel back if you live three hours away you would have to go to a hotel near the hospital because you need to go back and get checked up mm-hmm. you know a week yeah. later so okay. it's it's a big expense i've talked to many people after I donated that have reached out to me asking what the process was like and they'd share their stories and you know, mine was super easy compared to some people. The, yeah. yeah, that have to that don't live near a transplant center. And also you being in good physical shape. Yeah. Because they just don't see but like I got in the best shape. I could I was doing CrossFit at the time. I'd been doing CrossFit for probably Two years, two and a half years at that time. I started it right when she started doing chemo, uh, the 16 rounds of chemo, because... Were you thinking in your mind, I need to be in good shape for this? No, not at that time, but... I think it was more of a stress yeah. relief at that time. Like yeah, just because in 2014, transplant, like organ donation, wasn't a big deal because drug overdoses were so common that people could don't... You don't, mentioned this Yeah, okay, so Narcan... Continue yeah. with that. Yeah, so... Explain that. Yeah, so... Um, 
you would have drug overdoses and you would be on a waiting list no longer than two weeks for most organs that, that would be common liver, um, kidneys, things like that, that are done each week, pretty common, pretty easy to do. But then Narcan came on in 2014, 15, like, and then it pretty much put a hinder to um, the whole process, like having organs available because these people were being revived over and over again and given second, third, fourth chances at life. And uh, so it it really became up to for a living donor because waiting for somebody to pass away that would be a match is and was going to be pretty rare at that point. So that's when I signed up just to see what it was. And then, I don't know, a few weeks later, they came back and said, I was like uh, the perfect match, like – almost brother and sister kind of uh, closeness. Crazy. Yeah. Bullet County. So I think. That's um, cool. It's, this is a good place to announce that. Yeah. <laughs> I think there are like six antigens or six markers that they look at, and you have to have so many out of the six um, to be a match for someone, and we were six. We wow. were six out of six. And Matt, so. going into that process, you knew that if you happened to be a perfect match, you were going to do it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, because I could remind her every day. That I gave it you sounds a like a pretty good leverage type thing. I yeah. can see that. Yeah. 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 Hey, but just as a the... reminder, I did give you my kidney. Yeah. You can pee hey. because of me. Yeah. Uh, she hears yeah. that a lot. How? I every mean, day. every single day? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> when she's mad at me and I stuff hope, like that. I hope you're, you're going to be that angry. I, was I came home late today. I get it. However, <laughs> yeah. 2016, forget. I did give you my kidney. <laughs> yeah. Did you forget about that? Yeah. I would use that a lot. Oh, I do. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I'm going to use it to my advantage for being so sympathetic to you guys yeah. with my wife. <laughs> yeah. No, it was it was um, a complete shock. Totally unexpected. Um, but, yeah, miraculous. So the questions people would have is how much time do I have to take off work? All this, the antigens were a match, six out of six. You only needed four. Matt was I don't the, know if that. I, I don't know if it's those. four. But, yeah, but you, you had to have a certain number. To, to be and you had to be pretty healthy to be um because they'll kick you out quick they want to know make sure you're not being bribed that i was at uh, asked that continuously through the whole process week after week are so that's you being an issue. i've heard that in like selling Asia, your kidneys yeah there's like a chinese organ transplant market and all sorts yeah. of sh- India, i can imagine if you're yeah. gonna die i can see where people with money and then there's like, well, there's three million people here who have nothing to live for, yeah. according to whoever. Okay, so I can see where that would be an issue. So bribery is a big issue with organs. Yeah, he had his own uh, social worker that, yeah, continually made sure that I wasn't doing anything shady to get his his organ. Which but I may have been doing shady stuff. Though, obviously, is a problem, or the, you know, or that, there wouldn't have been a social would, worker. There wouldn't have been a social worker. <laughs> Was there any point you were like, hey, you know, she has. I think I'm being abused. No, it, bullied. In, in my in my head, I'm taking that. I'm no, I'm bribing her. You know, like <laughs> no, no. This is yeah. leverage. I'll be using yes. this for years. Yeah. Yes. yes, for the rest of her life. <laughs> okay, the rest of her life. So, so what are the answers to the perfect match, which is not common, of course, um, for this to happen? Someone who's 40 years old uh, at the time, 41. 40. 
40, 41 yeah. at the time of the transplant. 42. So the questions were that you mentioned that people were asking, like, well, how much time do I have to take off work? And what kind of financial commitment is that? I'm, yeah. How painful lo- is it? Okay. Yeah. I might lose my job if I take that much time off work. What are the answers to those types of questions in the perfect situation? How much time, Matt, did you have to take off work? So we had the transplant on July 19th. 19th and uh, you went back to work like September Af- 1st or something. After Labor Day yeah, yeah, weekend. Yeah, after the Labor Day weekend. Probably could have gone when school started, but because he had the luxury of having time that he could take. Sick days and stuff. Like off, that. He, no. he took off a few, um, like two extra weeks. Two okay, or three weeks. how hard was it on your body? It was, it was a big adjustment. It was uh, painful av- the first few days afterwards, probably the first week, because they pump you full of air in your gut. And uh, to be able to get the organ out, and they do uh, an incision in your abdomen, and they do some laparoscopic holes, and then they they pull the kidney out, but they pump you full of all this gas. So this gas would be sort of like le- lingering in your body for days after the surgery. Interesting. And it would just feel like an air bubble stuck in your shoulder, and then just like and you would have terrible gas, and you're like, and you, you know, I went from very very great shape, like I could. I could just get up and go run a half marathon and not even think about it. But after the surgery, it was difficult to walk up the street and back. Like, And then each day I would just force myself to walk around the block, and then I'd get up, and then you know, I'd walk two rounds around the block. And then, you know, the incision was a little painful. But, you know, after about two weeks, you know, I, I still had some abdomen discomfort and stuff but it was uh, i was all pain medicine and i was doing doing really good yeah. after that i on the other hand immediately felt better yeah because <laughs> yeah. the kidney was just working like That's it should it yeah yes. yeah they had told me going in uh, sometimes the kidney doesn't start working you know for a few days or maybe even a week and you might have to do dialysis just in the interim until you know, the kidney kind of gets in there. Um, but mine, his, I should say, uh, started working on the table. So as soon as they hooked it up inside my body, it started working. Producing urine, you know, making. Yeah. So I'm not the sharpest guy. Until you mentioned that, it registered for me. Where Oh, okay, that's right. So you not only had yours taken out that day, but then that same day, same day, it went into you. Same time. Yeah, they pulled it out. They immediately had us both on the table in separate rooms. And she had a team. I had a team. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. We we went in at like 2 in the afternoon, 3 in the afternoon. We were out. It was like 2 o'clock. It was a five-hour surgery, though. wonder when the first successful organ transplant occurred throughout the history of humanity. It's been a long time. I think they've been doing it for a long time. Like how long? I don't know. know. You'd have to look that up, but... Um, and you know, Jewish is a really a center of excellence for for transplants. So really, we felt very confident being there. Um, my surgeon was amazing. Like the whole team was was just great. I never encountered I never encountered anyone that I didn't feel completely confident in. Even the the nurse who came to get me to take me back for my surgery, he said, um, "For you, this is like a major event that's happening. For but for us, it's just Tuesday." 
And so that was so comforting to me. Like, yes, this is a, a huge major thing that's happening in my life, but this is just what you do every day. And, and it happens all the time. Yes. And, <clears throat> Maybe and, not all the time, but. Yeah. No, all the time. I, I, I think. Transplants are occurring all the time. Yes, all the time. And so um, for me, that was very comforting. Like, hmm. I, I mean, I like could feel my stress. Like, okay, you're right. This is not the same for you as it is for me. Thank goodness. Yeah. So 1933, Soviets tried the first human-human kidney transplant, but they failed because the body had, uh, they procured the, the kidney six hours after death, so things are starting to deteriorate after that, and the blood was a mismatch. So in 1954, so you're almost looking 20 years later, then they finally in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, did the first successful I thought you were going to say 1933, the Nazis. I thought you were going to say thanks to. <laughs> so it was, it was Soviet Russia, communist. They started trying it. And interesting. History like that is pretty fascinating, I guess. Yeah, who knows over there? They could have just whacked somebody and, like, oh, we got a spare body here. We'll do that. I mean, it's organ harvesting, I heard, is a big thing in China with prisoners. You know, if they need organs. They'll just take out a prisoner, you know. They sacrifice their body to be able to to get, donate to somebody that needs to, you know, to live in their eyes. And I jokingly tell my girls, like, you know, you, you girls need to keep yourself in pristine shape because the average life of a kidney is like 12 to 20 years for most transplants. And so I could need another one in my, in my lifetime. Okay. So I need you girls to... Our text thread with the family is potential organ donors. Yeah, that's yeah. what we call it. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but even beyond, and I know you're, you know, that's a little facetious, yeah. but you guys are living testaments, both of you, to you emphasizing to your kids, which I do too, and I bet they think I'm annoying as hell. Like you got to exercise every day. You got to always be doing some shit. Do something. Do something all the time. Be in real good shape. Yeah. Sleep. Yeah. You know. Try not to trash your body. Eat healthy, like exercise, yeah, all the things. Um, I, I get up in the mornings and work out, and, and a, a lot of people will say, like, why? You know, why do you continue to do that? And I say, I literally feel like my life depends on it. Like, how well my kidney functions long term, I feel like, depends on my overall health um, and just, you know. Just well, my, my life expectancy. Whether we go to Bethesda Hospital for the second opinion cancer doctor up there or if we go to James, we are not the norm. Like, we're the health nuts that come in. Like, we exercise all the time and just waiting for the next thing to happen, to be in the best shape that we can be for the, whenever that, you know, the next bad diagnosis comes in. You know, we just want to be the healthiest we can and, you know, and be a good steward of, like, what – we're, she's been given a second chance, you know, and not sit around eating Fritos and eating candy and soaking, you know, drinking soda, you know, and just wrecking your body, even though it tastes good, but you're killing yourself, you know, and you've been given a second chance on life, you know, don't, don't ruin it. Who would each of you credit with your approach to physical fitness and wellness? Who would you credit that to? For me, it's easy. It's my mother. I have my father too. Both of my parents. Who, who, who would you credit to? Because I assume that existed in, within each of you prior to you meeting each other in 1990. Is that accurate? It did not. Um, 
I mean, I think I feel like I was a relatively healthy person, but I was also 16, you know, when Matt and I met. So uh, I had no um, frame of reference for going to the gym. I didn't know anyone who went to the gym, you know, lifted weights like that was that was kind of a, a lifestyle I didn't know anything about until she met um, until I met him and and then I just started going with him so it was just something that we did together when we were dating um, and then we've always either you know been a member of a gym or um, done something you know Matt who would you credit it to probably my father like when I, I, I joined American Fitness on Outer Loop in Preston back in 19 19- Let's see, 1980, probably six or something, okay. maybe. And uh, my dad always lifted weights. He was always sort of jacked and tan, and um, and uh, is your, really is your great. Your father still around? Yep, yep. He's seventy. Is he still jacked 75. and tan? Uh, <laughs> he's in great shape for for a seventy five year. I, I I joke with him all the time that he's that he's like seventy nine or whatever. Like you look great for eighty, but he's he still works full time painting houses and he's in great shape. You know, for for his age, he um, still does everything he wants to do. But you know, he was always like a physical specimen. Always just like um, he wasn't. He had a bodybuilder type, you know, physique and stuff. And you know, I always lifted weights with him. And um, just going to the gym all the time with him. And I di- I didn't see him, but at, like every other weekend. So that was something we bonded and did, you know, together. You know, when when the times I did get the same. So, although your parents did divorce when you were young, Matt? Yep, when I was a year old, yeah. Um, you do have a good father. Yeah. I mean, he's a different guy than he was at 25 when I was born, you know, that, you know, 50 years later. He, we've gone through, he probably has regrets, you know, like, we're not, there's no parenting guide. Like, you, sure. you make decisions, you know, like, consequences to those decisions, and, you know, you hope you make the best decisions as possible but you you screw up as a parent you know and I, I think he has regrets and wish he did things different said and did things you know but um you know it is and what it is regrets too i mean you know i was i was talking to to Paige. she's our our oldest she came in town for the rodeo we we all went to the rodeo last night so cool. um but we were we were having this conversation yesterday about you know, you strive in parenting to make all the, the right decisions, but you you still won't, you know. And, and even when she and her husband have children, you know, they'll look back and say, oh, we really messed that up. You know, I wish we had done this or that differently. So I think that's just normal. Matt, how tall is your father and how tall are you? My dad's probably six foot. And he told me, you'll never be as big as me. And I, I'm six six three, and uh, roughly 200 pounds. And he's probably six foot, you know, like 160 pounds. But um, so He always told I, you you'd never be as big as him? And he used to beat the crap out of me. Like, he was always a fighter and stuff. Loved a, loved a street fight and box and stuff like that. So we would put on the gloves when I was a kid, and he'd, you know, beat the tar out of me on the driveway. But then Starting at what age? I don't know. Thir- I was a teenager, you know. He, so you'd see him on the weekends, but that yeah, was, that, was this sparring, that was sparring time. Yeah, the, we would wrestle and we would, you know, box and stuff like that. So it was um, something that, um, you know, once I got into graduated high school, I got into the kickboxing and the taekwondo, and then that developed into the the kickboxing. Did amateur kickboxing for three years. So, like, I developed some skills and size and strength, and then. 
And I picked him up one day and threw him up on the truck hood, busted up his ribs, and he's like, oh, we're done. <laughs> I'm not messing with this kid anymore. You know, he's outgrown me, you know, so. Carrie, when you met Matt, was he an athlete? Um, he had played football in high school. Um, so I guess it would depend on how you define athlete. You played uh, football in high school? What yeah, sports did you good. play in high school? Um. Yeah, tennis, but I would I just wanted to be part of something, and it was, you know, I always lifted weights, and, you know, um, one of the coaches at the school was a teacher or whatever, asked me to come out for the football team, so I did that, and I just loved the contact sport part of it. It was hard to understand. I didn't grow up playing football. A lot of kids grow up from, like, peewee leagues and just develop into middle school, into high school, you know, so they have a basic understanding, so I... You know, I got into football. I like the contact. I like the being part of a team, like the brotherhood. You know, you were even though we weren't a great team, we still struggled. You know, and had this bond together and stuff. I enjoy that, and that's something I miss—the physical contact after graduating high school. Unless you go into college, you're not going to get that playing football. So, I found you know martial arts and got into that, and that's um, sort of my outlet for the the physical contact stuff. I was, I was just the groupie. I, I just followed him around to whatever he was doing and watched. How many years of, of high school football did you play? Just two years. What position? Six foot three, big yeah, strong I, guy. I tried, I tried being a, a, a tight end, and um, I, didn't, I didn't like uh, reaching up, grabbing the ball, and then hit, hitting the ribs. And, like, I, didn't, I returned I, punts my oh. freshman year of high school. That's the scariest shit in the world. Yeah. You're like, like looking up, and if you wave fair catch when you shouldn't, you're yeah. the biggest sissy, yeah, in the world. So you don't want to do that, right? But you're taking a little gamble. People are sprinting at you, and it is scary. Yeah, in the '80s, there weren't like concussion protocols. There wasn't like you just got up, suck it up, get up. You're you'll be okay. Just walk it off. You know, like I just remember like my ribs hurt all the time from like going catching a ball and then just getting tackled and somebody's helmet and my ribs. And, you know, I've like, so I went my senior year, I went to like defensive tackle, you know, more just follow the ball where the ball's at tackle them. You know, it was a lot easier. I was get, get it, football plays are very confusing. If you didn't grow up doing it, you know, like it's a lot to learn. I just like the contact, you know, just being part of the team. I wasn't great. It was just something that I wanted to do. Gary, after you came into the picture, how would you describe Matt's journey of he, he had that physical contact that he did at least like in football and the camaraderie and all that. What did he do next? Walk me through that journey for Matt. So, Because it sounds like there's some pretty interesting angles to it. I mean, I think he probably started with martial arts after that, and then that led to the kickboxing. Um, he got into powerlifting for a while. And then, tough man. Tough man? Yeah. Yeah. Carrie, um, were you raised in a household where, like, your dad enjoyed fighting or anything? No. 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 Okay, so this was all pretty foreign to you. This was all foreign. But, I mean, I quickly got on board, you know, like. Supportive. Yeah, yeah, supportive. But you were kind of like, my husband's doing what? So what's tough man? Tell the listeners, what is tough man? What years did you do that? What is it? 2000, 2001. That's, <laughs> that's what tough man is. It's embarrassing. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, we, have you ever bragged to your friends that your husband's a tough man <laughs> fighter? Carrie? I have Carrie? never. 
no. She cringes I every time. No I ounce of, of uh, being bragging about that no. in you? No. But fighting in Louisville Gardens and, you know, being surrounded by thousands of people and people cheering, you know, for you or against you. And, you know, Tough Man is pretty unique because it's not like the redneck bras that you would see on – you know, the three two-minute round fights that you see now, but you're going to come back and fight the next night, and you're going to keep fighting until you lose. You know, so that bracket style, fighting like how UFC started, where you would just keep coming back, fighting over and over again until you lost. And like, you don't know who you're going to fight. So it's all a mystery. Were there weight classes? No, no. You just fought whoever you're they put across guy. from you. You're a big guy, so for yeah. the lack of weight classes, you know. Did you but, fight many people who were taller than you? Yeah, those are the easier ones. It's the smaller guys that were quicker, faster, stronger. You know, like, that's where I got beat up, you know, by the by the smaller guys. You, you know, ever get in there quicker. with someone who's like a real good wrestler or someone who had how much of self- Tough Man was just strictly bike boxing. Okay, yeah, what yeah. is it? Yeah, what is the sport? Tell me what's Yeah, it was just strictly, just strictly boxing, but it was tournament style. Were so you wearing you, gloves? Yep. Yeah, big gloves, like Six, 16 ounce. 16 yeah, ounce that will feel like weights on the end of your hand. So. Okay, so it was it. it okay. Kickboxing, I always wore like 10 or 12 ounce gloves, depending on where you fought, whether it was Indiana or St. Louis or something. Like you would have smaller gloves. So it's you, it doesn't wear you out after throwing jabs or punching. You know, it's those the, the gloves, and you had headgear on for the tough man, you know. So all that sort of plays into it. Gary, did Matt ever have an opponent where you're like, this? Are you kidding me? This just like maybe some fat guy who looked real trashy or anything like that? This is what I'm looking for. It's so the real salacious is, details. This is kind of the whole event is what you just described. Yeah. Like, Hell yeah. That's the whole like fun. event. Yes. Um, actually, a friend of ours kind of ran the event. It was very well Oh, well, He knows Tim. Oh, yeah. So Tim yeah. Gonderman. Gonderman. Yeah. Tim is who got Matt involved, and we've been friends with Tim for years so when matt came home and said i'm doing you know this tough man contest that tim has gotten me and i was this is on a wednesday and then on friday i was fighting and i was like okay i seem to have a pretty good husband but this is okay well whatever completely normal in our life okay just some random we just kind of roll with whatever it's a good way to be yeah with whatever it is um so yeah and that the first year um I feel like you were pretty competitive that first year. Like you made it. Yeah, I got to far. the. I got to the semi. If I would have got the bigger guy, I would have got to the finals and at least got money out of it. Five hundred bucks, thousand to win, five hundred to lose, or second place, and then. But I got to the semifinals. I got the, the guy who's won like six of them in West Virginia, and I, I got him in the semifinals, and then he went on and fought the bigger guy for the finals. But I would have beat the bigger guy. I, f- I think, hands down, and then How big was the, the, the guy from West Virginia? How big was he? He was probably like your size. And he was good at – Bo- real good boxer. boxer. Yeah, fast. And that's all he did for a living was just fight. Like, so it so was – So he probably has professional boxing matches on his – And you weren't supposed to be a bo- professional. But he, but he probably does. Like, if we knew his full name, he has yeah. a boxrex.com probably profile. Yeah. I'd, I'd, back then, you had no way – early 2000s, no way of really researching – Anybody because you just show up and you got a you have a pit of fighters and there's guys back there smoking in Louisville Gardens back in this pit they're smoking cigarettes you know they're they see that you have tape and they're like hey can I get some of that tape to wrap my wrist and you know they they're just showing up no mouthpiece they're they're like uh, it's 
they're in blue jean cutoff shorts. It's it's absolutely craziness. And I was there wanting to be serious. Like, you know, I came back the second year to fight, and I was like I trained up to that point. The other time, the first time, it was just like a two-day notice, and I'm like, I'm just going to see how tough I am. Like, do I still have what it takes to stand toe-to-toe with somebody and fight, you know? Many people were intoxicated <laughs> in the crowd. so More fights in the that's crowd. That's what you're yeah. dealing with. Yeah. You know, they're getting in fights themselves in, in the audience. Um, the second year that he fought, actually the people sitting directly behind me, which was like a mom and her two adult sons, get in a fist fight. I mean, with each they're other. With each other, yes. To the point that Tim, who's up by the ring, sees this happening and he comes and gets me and takes me to like a ringside seat so I can get out of the crowd. Um, it, it was just craziness. But that was what was happening all, all around the ring. So that's the situation, you know. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds cool. Yeah. I wish they'd bring it back. I like the tournament where you just keep fighting because you're hurt and you you just have to, if you get hurt on Friday night you got to come back on Saturday and fight you know like and that's just the, gonna, that's the selling point for you, Carrie. What do you think of that? That, that being yeah. that being his sales pitch. Yeah, the second year I was pregnant with Paige, so okay. I'm you know I've got this big belly and um, which I won Friday night, but I hurt my arm, hyperextended my elbow during a, a yeah my right yeah during fighting and. Uh, so I didn't come back Saturday and fight. I felt like I was too injured. To, and there were some really good guys that, that next night. But um, it was just yeah. – I had to make a decision whether how bad I wanted to get beat up. I was already beat up. And then I was going to get – it was going to be a – it was going to be a rough night. And I was like, ah. It was an experience. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he can say he did it. And he, yeah. Local. I've been to many um, local MMA shows in Kentucky. I don't know how many. I don't know. A hundred or so. maybe not a hundred, mm-hmm. maybe fifty. I don't know, something like that. But there's an element of what you're describing at those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, the people at the very top of the card, Lance Lawrence. Yeah. That's not. That's not what that is. But right. <laughs> the O and O amateur debut fighters. Yeah. Sometimes they'll wear basketball shorts. You can tell they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Which I think is enjoyable because some, sometimes those guys end up being good. Yeah. Jesse Romans is a name of someone I commentated a fight for him in 2017. <laughs> and you could watch it. It's the tr- trashiest thing you've ever seen. He goes in, first thing he does, kicks his opponent in the growing. <laughs> that was the first thing he did. But first he crawled. He told me he drank like, like over a fifth of vodka the night before. Crawled into the cage, taunting people in the crowd, and then. But long story short, he does end up years later in 2023. He's a good MMA fighter. Yeah, I think he's two and zero pro now. You got to start somewhere. Wow. Yeah. yeah, we were watching MMA back in the day. Is that what we would? Yep. We UFC. Would? We probably started UFC th- two or three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Pay per view. You know, it's a big deal. I had to find somebody that had a pay per view box, and we could could watch it in the early nineties and. Uh, it was. They wouldn't man, fight like, until eleven o'clock at night. Yeah. Well, they would just keep, you know, they keep dragging Hoist out, and uh, yeah, and it, it was just craziness. Dan to be severing all that, you know. So you knew uh, Gracie Jiu Jitsu was legitimate. It. Yeah, but no, later, no idea. Like, I've always wanted to do this. Yeah. Got into it. Yeah, I had now or never to to do it. My girls were out of school, into college, so I had the disposable income, like to, you know, training. It's not cheap, 
you know, so it's one of those things. I quit CrossFit and and started doing jujitsu, and then that. Um, so you don't do any CrossFit anymore? No, I just. I do CrossFit style workouts. I, okay. I've got a Crunch Gym membership for twenty five bucks. You know, like so, I, I apply what I learned for seven years of CrossFit to our lifestyle. When we work out, you know, we go to Florida, we work out. We've got equipment down there at my parents' condo, so we do CrossFit all the time. But I just don't pay for CrossFit membership. You said we, so you both do CrossFit type workouts. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, and you both exercise every day. Every day, yeah. So, if there's takeaways from today's episode, um, obviously you guys would be a uh, living testament to the benefits of like a long, healthy, happy marriage. Correct. Um, And I'm not saying that in a way like, oh, how boring. (laughs) It sounds like that's what I was saying. But also, um, testaments to living, you know, exercising every day, not just for the benefits of looking good and, and feeling good. Although those are good benefits. Yeah. Yes. But also setting a good example for your kids. I mean, everything, right? Yes. Taking care of yourself is pretty important. There was a, a guy who I taught his son jujitsu, and I always tried, the dad was overweight, very overweight. And he told me, I'm getting one of those surgeries to lose weight. And he kept telling me, and he told my mom too. <laughs> my mom's a huge fit, uh, um, you know, health nut. You, the cool thing is you just get to keep eating everything <laughs> afterward that you were eating before. And he had the surgery, and I don't even know if I noticed that it looked like he had lost. He had lost some weight. Yeah. But then within a year, it was all back. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we have a, a pandemic of um, lazy people, I guess. Mm-hmm. La- physically lazy. Yeah. Maybe not even lazy people, but like. Undisciplined. Not disciplined. The testosterone rate in men across the board is going down generationally, I think. Yeah. You think that's real? I think so. You guys so. think that's real? It sounds kind of like a conspiracy theory. Well, the food, I think the, the I think it's a much chemicals, bigger, yeah. like the things that are in the, in the our water, yeah. our food, you know, and if you eat garbage, you're going to look like garbage. Okay, so it's the eating the bad things. Yeah. Um, that's wild. I've heard some podcasts that I've listened to recently where people are spouting some stats that sound insane about the level of testosterone in a man today in 2023 compared to like 1950. Yeah. Supposedly. Yeah. So I guess that's diet. That's like RFK type stuff with the stuff they spray on our foods. Yeah. Absolutely. That's probably a big deal. It takes the nutritional value out of it. Those nutrients are what contributes to... And just disrupts, you know, the systems in our body. So I think disrupts our hormones, disrupts, you know, all of it. You guys eat pretty healthy? Yeah, try I mean, to. we try to. I'm not saying, you know, we never have a pretzel or a cracker, but... Yeah. Um, Overall, do, you try to yeah, we do be try aware to of what you eat. Yeah, for me, it's, it's like candy, junk food. I like three, probably three years ago, intentionally quit eating sugar, like... I was a sugar addict, and like you, uh, I would just out eat my workouts and stuff with CrossFit. I I, I could be terrible about like uh, just going through cakes, donuts, cookies. You know, love love the taste of. Them. But I I looked at myself. I took a Father's Day photo. No, it probably wasn't Father. It was an Easter photo with my dad, probably three years ago. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm starting to pack on some weight here. I look terrible. You know, like. 
So I decided then no more sugar and just sort of eliminate that and um, and then drop 30 pounds. And then I've, I've stayed at the same weight, you know, about 195 to 200. What's the most you've ever weighed? 300. So I was almost 44 pants. Yeah, that was before. Um, That's right when Paige was born. Yeah. yeah. Probably after my last tough man fight, hurt my shoulder. Oh, but I was okay. still, you know, I was doing I powerlifting excitement. stuff. I, I saw yeah. excitement yeah. in his oh, eyes my there. Gosh, Something's yeah. coming. What? Yeah. So you hurt your shoulder doing the tough man, and then you, but what? But, but uh, you know, you still eat like you're training. Oh, okay. And I, I just ballooned that. up, I got injured, and then I just swelled up, and then just that just cycle of eating not moving, you know, and then he did. He did tell me beforehand. He said, "I'm I'm gonna do like a a little bulking phase, you know, <laughs> put put on some muscle." And I was like, "This sounds like a terrible idea." And he's like, "No, no, it'll be it'll be fine. It wasn't fine. It was 300 pounds. That's that's oh, what it was." Gosh. For so. me, I'm shorter than you. I'm five nine, Matt. But I remember in 2010, I shortly after my kids were born, they were born in 08 and 09. So, um. I also was lifting weights and kind of had that, oh, wow, you look like a different person. Different person. Yeah, that's right when my daughter was born. So, so. I see a picture of your of, of my 21-year-old. When you weighed about 300. Yeah. Yeah. But I had a moment for me, being shorter, I got up to about 210. For me, it was pretty fat. And I said at one point to my dad something like that, like, um, you know, I've been lifting. or I forget. It was something to the tune of, I don't know why I said it, like... Um, you know, I look pretty strong or something, something like that. And he was like, to me, you just look like anyone who's gotten fat. Yeah. <laughs> That's what my dad said to me. It's probably the best thing you ever, did you lose weight after that? Um, or did you just get I mean, butter? I did end up losing weight at some point, but yeah. I'll never forget that he said that to me. Yeah. So I don't know exactly that it, the, now it, I don't mind it. You know, it's honesty and it was true. Yeah. yeah. I weighed like 175 last time I weighed myself now. So Still, you know, feel relatively good right now. So that was, you know, substantially, for me, heavier. Yeah. So he was being honest. So that's a good thing, right? And you're not getting any younger. You need to, you need to, you to do all this training, boxing, kickboxing, jujitsu. You need to test yourself. You need to get in the ring. Oh, okay. Good time okay. and see, not none of this grappling stuff. You need to get contact. You need to see how the do punches an, an go. MMA fight. Or a boxing match? A boxing, one of them. I could do a boxing match. Yeah. I could win some amateur boxing matches. Yeah. You need to test yourself. You, you, you'll regret this in, in your 60s and 70s. Like, I never tested myself. I did all this training and never, never put it to the test. I did tell uh, Hard Rock, Brandon Hard Rock Higdon is the matchmaker for basically every MMA event that happens in Kentucky and has been for 10 years. Brandon Hard Rock Higdon. Yeah. I told him that I would have fought one specific guy in an MMA fight. And I don't, that guy didn't, I don't know, didn't yeah. want to do it or something. I don't, or he's hurt or something. I don't know. So I was willing to get into the cage for an MMA fight. Yeah. And I would still be down. Um, like I said, I think the boxing, amateur boxing is interesting. You wear headgear. Yeah. Big ass gloves. But you get tested. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't mind doing that. I do. Uh, still hurts. sparring pretty regularly. Yeah. Still hurts. Yeah. But I mean, once, once you're in a fit, like sparring and then like. I need to knock this guy out. Yeah. Totally different game. Like, That's what I or mean. this guy's going to knock me out. Like, yeah. yeah. Sparring can get out of control some, but it's still, still, you know, a different level. I do train like a fighter, and I have for a while. I'm doing MMA sparring at five tonight. Yeah. 
It's good. I did jujitsu yesterday at noon. So, I mean, I do yep. train regularly and I enjoy it. So, I mean, even if I don't test myself, I do enjoy it. Yeah. You do too, right? Oh, I love it. Yeah. I, I love How often it. do you train jujitsu? Four days a week. 7 a.m. classes? Yeah. Shout out to Aaron Murphy and Pastor Steve Johns. Those are yep. the two guys who teach the classes? Yep. Two and two? Steve teaches two, Aaron teaches yep. two? Monday, Wednesdays, Steve, and then Aaron's Tuesday, Thursdays. No gi on Thursdays. Yep. Does the rest of your family, are they into fitness or? Into fitness, yeah. My brother is into CrossFit. My brother's technically my boss, or maybe not my boss even, but. He came up with the idea for me to create my health insurance business here. He's up in Dayton, the Dayton, Ohio area. He's really in really good shape. And my mom, too. And my dad keeps himself in good shape. I grew up with my dad playing basketball. So I'd go to watch uh, my dad play basketball. He's a pretty good basketball player. Um, I would see him, you know, be like a 5'11 guy out there and scoring the most points over all these taller people and stuff. And I always thought my dad was kind of like a hero. And I saw him get kicked out of multiple games because he was feisty. But no combat sports. It was kind of just yeah. somehow I stumbled into it after my divorce when I was 32. I started going to local boxing uh, matches, Tim Gonerman yep. type stuff, Todd Neal. Um, and then I, they turned me on to, you got to go to an MMA, MMA event. I didn't even know what MMA was in 2013, really. So I went to an event and kind of, because my radio show, I was sprung into like, the second I went to the event, they were like, hey, this is a radio guy. So at this trashy little, no offense to them, at this little event, they were like, this is the guy who's the radio guy. So they were kind of treating me like I had some value. Yeah. And so I got to sit cage side. I've never been to an MMA event, I don't think, in my life where I didn't sit cage side. There you get a little spot, uh, spit. I've had little, blood. A little blood. Me, yeah. Sweat. Yep. It's in the spray zone. Yeah. But then I devoted myself in 2014, ended up, befriending scott smith randomly on facebook because yeah. of the little community and then he made a post about kids programs so like a very brave manly man i signed my son up for him <laughs> to do it let him do it for two years he didn't get too too beat up then i did it yeah actually my mom this is the least macho intro to combat sports my mom after my divorce must have thought i needed something so she signed me up for jujitsu without my permission I didn't even yeah. want to, or I don't, I don't even remember thinking maybe it would be cool or maybe I could do it. I'm scared of it. Nothing. My mom signed me up and I was pissed off at her because I didn't have any money. I just went through a divorce. I had a bunch of debt. <clears throat> so my mom signed me up in 2016 against my will. And then of course, right when I did it, I was like, this is awesome yeah. immediately. And this was at Gracie? <clears throat> at of Gracie Kentucky? of Kentucky. Yep. Yeah. To that May of 2016, I got onto the mat for the first time, rolled with Drew Hagerman, Patrick Rose. My first day, I just jumped right into rolling, and it was, you know, obviously, it's very fun. Like, yeah. primal, there's something, maybe not inside of all men, maybe, but it seems to me that it's fun to, like, wrestle around, even if you get beat up. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm of course, a big advocate of combat sports training. All three of my kids do. I think every school, middle school and up, should have a wrestling and jujitsu program. Sure. You know, I think wrestling is martial art, you know, but it needs to be involved into the PE aspect of it. Like every kid gets an opportunity. I, I think it would be life changing. Sure. For kids and for self confidence. And, you know, anybody I can talk to about putting their kid, especially uh, boys, you know, 
get them in wrestling or jujitsu. Sure. I mean, give them that mental toughness, that grit about them. My son just made the Eastern High School freshman basketball team. Nice. Shortest white guy on the whole Eastern team. <laughs> so that's my claim to fame right now. I don't know how much he's going to play this year. I was openly cheering that he would get cut from the basketball team and wrestle. Yeah. He knows I feel that way. I don't regret it. He's good at basketball, and I do take him to shoot 360. I yeah. don't know if you see yep. it. Like, he does these. He's, he's good. He's a pretty athletic kid. But yeah. um, I hope he plays and gets the chance and, you know, yeah. as well. I'll be cheering for him. I'm paying 185 bucks for shoot 360 every month. Yeah. So, I mean. Wow, that's more I'm than jiu-jitsu. In, I know, yeah. Shoot 360 is very expensive. Yeah. But um, I really think even be, it's not as glamorous to be on the wrestling team. You know, no. Friends don't think it's cool. I and went to Oldham County High School. They have a really good wrestling program. I didn't even know about it, yeah. I don't think. In hindsight, I guess maybe I knew, I guess I knew about it, but I was like riding the bench on the basketball team and it didn't, mm-hmm. I should have been wrestling. Yeah. Because the football players know the wrestling kids and they don't want to mess with the wrestling sure, kids. Sure. Yeah. Because they're a different level of crazy. Yeah. And toughness. And that's their specialty is yeah. just. Kicking your ass, yeah, basically. So I mean, I know that sounds um, barbaric or something, but I think it's good for you. Yeah. So the takeaways from today's episode should be: you've mentioned a couple websites, Terry. Uh, if someone listening is like, "Wow, that's cool," we would encourage you and all three. I think I'm speaking for all three of us. Take care of yourself. Promote wellness and uh, exercise it within your family. Yeah, for sure. Um, but the, you know, the be the match.org, if you are um, interested in, in donating stem cells to someone who needs. Or bone marrow. Or, yeah. yeah, your bone marrow. Um, to someone who needs a transplant, it's it's not a difficult process. Most people do it outpatient. You know, you, you go for a certain amount uh, of time for several days in a row. They, they take your, your stem cells or whatever they're going to use. Um, and you go on about your your life, you know, so not very impactful to the donor. Um, and then um, CODA, which is the Kentucky Organ Donor Affiliates, um, and that's more of the sign the back of your of your driver's license. You know, tell your tell your family members if if that is your wish to have um, your your organs donated. Um, my mother passed last February. Um, and Coda called me on the phone that day. I, I had no idea that she was signed up to be an, an organ donor. I, you know, I didn't know anything about it. So she became a tissue donor. Yes. And some bones. Skin, tissue, and bone. Um, on behalf of your mother. Yes. Okay. So. Um, but we had no clue. And that, that was a total surprise to us. So they did know. not know they were calling someone who had been involved with organ had had a transplant. It was a right. total coincidence. Yeah, they didn't know. But in on her behalf, you were able to say yes, please. Well, it, she had already said yes. Okay, so, so she had signed the. How, how had she said yes? Um, I don't. I'm. I think they had done something maybe at her work, like a. Okay. You know, if you're you're signing up for insurance, if you also want to sign up for this, um, I see. I'm really not sure how it came about because but she never had a discussion with any yeah, anybody never, in the family about being a donor. She she did not tell me that. You know, that was her wish. And she was, um, her health had declined to such a point that I didn't think she would be a good candidate to be a donor anyway. Mm. Um, And so I, even I had no idea all the things that they would still be able to do 
even though, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking organs, and, and those were not viable in her situation, but there still were many, you know, many things that were, so. So don't exclude yourself from being a, a potential candidate to help someone. Right. Even if you're in poor health. Yeah, for sure. Anyone, right? I think anyone, yeah. Yeah, they I can, mean, who knows? There could be ways to. They'll find something. Okay. To use. You know, and just having a conversation and like, like your wishes to be known to your family members, and then, you know, they they can harvest a lot of different body parts and and stuff. If you're if you're still, um, if you're in the hospital and you still have a pulse about you, you know, they know you're going to die. Like they can keep you alive enough. It's when you've been sitting for too long that they can't harvest some, you know, um, organs to be able to heart, kidneys, liver. Um, things like that. I think that's an important, you know, to to have a conversation with your family. Like, hey, if something happens to me, like, please share my body, you know, like, with somebody that can carry on and live, you know, so. And if someone's listening and maybe they're young, if you had advice to them <clears throat> about the value of, um, Finding someone, getting married, long-term monogamous relationship with kids, is that being a sell? If you could present that or have some advice to someone listening about the value of a traditional, I guess it's funny that I'm asking this question, but um, traditional family, what are the selling points of that? What advice would you have about marriage? Um, I think look for someone who has the same values as you, you know, for us, um, faith and, and our relationship with God was like the foundation of our lives together. And so everything was kind of built upon that and, and has been the filter through which we've made every decision, um, raised our children and, and we talk to them and other people too, a lot about like, you know, what is our legacy? What, what do we want the legacy of our family to be long-term? You know, and so for us, that legacy was, you know, two people who, who loved each other, who um, had a happy marriage and, and did our best to raise happy, healthy children who also love Jesus and, um, you know, serve other people. That's sort of, you know, our, our legacy. We want that to be with our kids, the next generation, like our followers of Jesus and stuff. You know, and when it came down to the transplant, like Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, husbands in chapter five husbands love your uh, wife as christ loved the church for he gave himself up for her like that's the most sacrificial like if i can give up my kidney and die you know like it didn't matter like i want her to live and and um if i can sacrifice anything in my life for her that's what i want and she would do the same thing for me but you know it's it's as my to be a husband and to be a leader in the family and to be a follower of Jesus, like it was just an easy decision, you know, for me to make. If I am speaking to someone listening who perhaps is not um, religious, <clears throat> I could make a case that regardless of um, maybe anything, through your faith, even if it's almost, maybe you could say, a critic could say a placebo effect, through you wanting to ask for prayers, and that mentality, which you did experience. I could make a case that even just that 
makes being religious instead of more secular makes it worth it. What is your sales pitch for someone who's listening who is atheist or you know agnostic and is not religious at all? Do you have? Are you evangelical? And do you have a, a sales pitch or a a a um, any words for someone who's critical of a, living a life of faith? That, I know that was a roundabout question, yeah. but tell me what you got. If I, I don't, I don't know how people, I really don't know how people go through anything in life without faith. I, I feel like the, the things that we've been through in our lives, um, we have completely relied on our, our faith um, that like this, this life is fleeting and eventually you know, we're going to go to heaven if we die. And so when I was sick, you know, my thought wasn't death is the end. It's like death is really the beginning, you know. So um, if I die in this situation, uh, okay. And if I live, great. Either way, it's okay. That helped me just make it through the whole situation, you know, and there's no doubt in your mind that that helped you. That's no doubt. one of the things you're most no confident about. Yeah, probably. completely confident. So, um, and and even when we got to like the kidney transplant, and people would say, "Oh my gosh, you guys are so lucky! Like you're so lucky that you are this great match." And I'm like, that there was no luck involved in that situation. Like it was complete providence in you know, 1990 when I walked into Taco Bell, like the Lord orchestrated that event to happen, knowing that in 2016, I was going to need this kidney and and it was all, it was going to work out beautifully. Like that has been the plan from the beginning. So, um, our life's not a coincidence. Yeah, it's not, it's not a coincidence. Um, the only thing I have is, is my testimony, uh, you know, of, of being a follower of Jesus, I can't, I don't know what I could say to you, like to convince you. All I can say is, um, it is, it's radically life changing for us. Yeah. Would you add anything to that? Uh, I mean, yeah, I think there's, I think there's plenty of evidence, you know, that Jesus was real, that it's, you know, um, a historical event, like, we, we put it in our in our social studies books in, in public school. You know, it's not like a, um, the only way you're going to ever hear about Jesus is if you pick up a Bible. Like, Jesus was a, a historic figure, and we, we speak about that in, in history. So um, I don't think I have to make a case for that, you know. And I can only say how uh, being followers of Jesus has impacted our lives in a positive way. And, and our goal is for our girls to, you know, to marry men who will pick pick that up with them and carry on that legacy of, of being followers. And we have that in, in Paige and Tyler. So we'll see. You know, Morgan Morgan has a nice little little guy that she's dating, and um, we'll see where that goes. Matt, are you a difficult dad when it comes to – Young men dating your daughters? They've been really great about filtering out guys that we wouldn't be proud of them dating. You know, I don't need to have a shotgun sitting at the table, you know, to intimidate them with. 
like my girls are smart, intelligent, you know, beautiful young ladies that are confident in themselves that I, I believe you've, that, you've spent that can, many, many years preparing them for knowing I mean, how it would go for, you know, what, what X, some of it accidentally, some of it, you know, like you don't get a parenting handbook, like with all the instructions of you just, we were really lucky with the girls, you know, um, and they, they had really good friends and, you know, we've tried to model a good marriage in front of them. What, and, um, in healthy relationship and they, they've seen a lot of healthy relationships in our family and stuff. So I think for them, it was, um, it was easy in a sense that there wasn't, um, well also the, you know, the whole process that we went through, like, 2014 the kidney transplant all of that like they saw what um a servant husband is like you know Mm. in the way that he took care of me when I was sick and and just what those years looked like and I think that was you know really impactful for them so I think when they started looking for men that you know possibly they could spend the rest of their lives with they were looking for those those qualities in in that person already hasn't been difficult you guys have done a put a lot of effort into putting the best example forward. That's probably the best approach to being proactive with those types of things. Yeah. You haven't had to deal with that. You you said your father was um, jacked and tan. Is that what you said? Yeah, <laughs> jacked tan guy. Yeah, he was always shirt off, lifting weights, always at the pool. You know, like that's something. You know, what would you want your daughters to say about you in that same type of? <sighs> oh my God. That was your description. I've never met your father. That's all yeah. I know about him. That's all I know. What would you want them to say about you? I, I'm sure there's more to your father than that. Yeah, that's all yeah, I know yeah. of him. That's all I know. Yeah. I, I, would, I would hopefully they say oh, I was a follower of Jesus, um, loved their mother unconditionally, and would sacrifice anything at any time and that I don't think she could do anything that would cause me never to love her, you know, anymore. I don't, so, um, like we've signed up this, for this for a lifetime and, uh, you know, they've gone away to college and so seen, maybe they would say he's a, he's a good man. Something I, I, I hope say good, but man. I'm, I say crazy stuff. I do crazy things. Clearly, you know, they clearly. would, they would, I make them cringe, you know, because they bring do, do guys they, around. Do they brag that their dad fought? No. no. Sure? They think they can fight oh, okay. because I fought. But okay. I'm like, you're delusional. You're going to get beat up. Like, it doesn't work that way. But they... Uh, I think I think what you would say about your parent changes over time. Sure, like from that's the, fair. From the perspective of a teenager, um, and then they both left home. And I think that perspective changed. You know, they they both went away to school and they met people um, who who had crazy backgrounds and who, you know, didn't have parents that even liked them. And so then I think your parents, even though there are things that that you would say, um, you know, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm not going to do that like my parents did. Your your whole outlook on what parenting looked, looks like changes so yeah i think i don't know this is the best parallel but like ayn rand would write uh fiction about like some 
heroic people and it was like striving for being heroic. That sounds like you guys are kind of striving for you both. In your case, Matt, you look like a hero for giving your organ to your wife, right? That, that's yeah, heroic, and you would yeah. have done that for Matt probably, and you guys were you guys are on the same team. So, and ultimately, you guys are being the hero of this story by providing such a great example to your daughters and to their spouses and all that. So, I mean, it's kind of like a, not being shameful and like we're just trying to do the best that we can and being very transparent about that. And am I getting carried away with the heroic thing? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think, I don't think that's the word that we would use. Okay. Like. Um, I would use it jokingly, but jokingly, yeah. but and you have, yeah, yeah. a lot. But <laughs> okay, I there, think more just like a servant. Like he, he is a servant leader in our house, and and would do whatever that means. So mm. by you know giving me a kidney, he is serving me um, in a way that I I couldn't do for myself. So, um, so we mentioned the website. If someone wants to get involved, try to help others. Um, if someone's interested in what you guys have to say about any of the topics we've heard about, you guys, are you on social media much? You guys have like, tell me, is if someone's listening yeah. and they're interested in following and learning more about you, how could they do that? Facebook, Matt and Carrie Murphy. Um, Instagram for me, KY Tech Teacher uh, could reach out. I, I get a lot of just random people that call up asking about kidney donations, you know, uh, that hunt me down and then I'll get some phone calls and uh, people through social media reach out and like want information, just want to talk through things, you know, like how's, how's this transplant going to go? How, what am I going to feel like? What, what are the side effects? You know, how are you living now? And uh, um, so I, I love talking to people and she's, you know, she's able to talk to people on the other side of the, the transplant and, yeah, you know, have, I'm Carrie Murphy, KY at, on Instagram, so okay, yeah, yeah, we um, we love to have conversations with people to help and, people, yeah, just to talk about the process, um, talk about chemo, talk about stem cell transplants, talk talk about any of it, you know. Um, I think that I, I would have liked that person when I was in that situation, and maybe they existed, and I just didn't know, you know, I just didn't know how to find them or or what, you know. And doctors are so, and nurses are so weird, and we. We've been taken from one room at James Brown Brown, put in another room to help encourage somebody who's deciding on, do I want to do this? Because they don't have family in town. They don't have resources. Mm. They don't want to inconvenience people to come and sit with them because you need somebody in the hospital with you. You need the way healthcare is now. You need somebody staying with you. And it's, it's a lot, you know, and it's a, a burden, financial burden for some people to be able to do that. But, um, you know, and some people don't have hope, you know, like they don't have the hope that we had, like in, in Jesus and, and knowing that if she doesn't make it, that high dose chemo kills her, it's going to be okay. We had a conversation with our daughter, like if mom dies, it's going to be okay. But I want you to know that your dad's still young. I want him to get married, you know, and find a godly wife. And I want you to be nice to her. Like, I don't want your dad to be alone. Like we those had are, weird con- conversations. Yeah, yeah. So, wow. yeah, right before the transplant. And that, hey, you know, this is serious stuff, but, you know, life goes on, and I would do the same thing for her. I would want her to move on. You know, like, we had those conversations with our kids, and and to be able to to be sacrificial, in a sense, to, to one another and 
but it, it's sad, you know, to see some of the situations that people are in and they, they just don't know. And HIPAA laws, they don't want a confidentiality and stuff. So we've been asked to come and speak at some different transplant conferences and, and different things. We had th- thought about starting a podcast or a YouTube channel for transplants and just talking about, you know, different aspects of, of, the, of our life and what our experiences were and stuff just to see what the interest is. Well, and just as a way, an easier way for people to find that information and then maybe connect with us. Oh. So that was something that we had thought about. Um, it would have been it would have been super helpful for me. I would have loved to have talked through the whole process with someone before I did it. So even if someone's listening and they're like, hey, I wouldn't mind helping someone. They don't have an urgent pressing need, but they have questions about how they could donate plasma or something. They contact you guys. You'll sure. point, point yeah. them in the right direction. Yep. That's yeah. something that you are... We'd love to. Passionate about yeah. it. Yeah. We'd love to do it. Okay. Uh, once again, each of your Instagrams, please. KY Tech Teacher. KY Inst- Tech Teacher. Carrie Murphy, KY. Carrie Murphy, KY. Okay. Is there anything we haven't gotten to that you guys would like to mention? I think we're good. Did we build Matt up to be a big enough hero and a um, <laughs> the champion of fighting against trashy rednecks? Were they mostly rednecks that you would fight? Oh, kind of a red. Would you say that was redneck situation? It, a lot of what you would see on the on the redneck brawls, you know that that new series that sort of started up. You've like, sent me a couple of those. yeah, Those yeah. So it, it's very, and I know we're we're hitting right at two hours here, but like I wish I was still young enough to fight the rowdy rooster. Like I feel it in me. <laughs> I hear about it. Everybody wants a piece to, of him. Did you listen to that? Yes, I did. With the one in one in yeah. eight guy. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I feel... Everybody wants to fight the Red <laughs> Rooster. Yeah, Everyone. Everybody. Yeah. So, I think you should offer to fight him, too. I did offer to grapple him. Okay. He's six foot five. I know. Yeah. It'd be a handful. Wow. I would grapple him, and I guess I would fight him in MMA. I would fight him in MMA, I think. Yeah. But everyone wants to fight him. Everyone. Yeah. Everyone. I think... Do you think he's on meth? <laughs> I don't know. Have you watched any of his fights? Yeah, I've watched, yeah. If you had to guess, do you think he's on drugs? Uh, some type of enhancing product, probably. Enhancing? Uh, well, uh, just to amp, like to amp him up, yeah. So some know. upper, it, an upper. It, it, yeah, something. Yeah, I don't know. But um, I brought my wife. My wife's from Cuba. I brought her to an, one MMA event in Kentucky. And she sat with my son, who he's been to tons of them. And she doesn't want to go back. She said that the, there was like some heavy set woman behind her yelling like rip it, you know, like real vulgar things oh, yeah. into the crowd and very redneck type in, oh, environment. It's, it's, yeah. it's nowhere to take your wife. No, not my yeah. wife. I mean, maybe, you know, some, some females who are from Kentucky maybe are a little yeah. more familiar, but she's like. Especially if you're fighting, you don't want your wife to be. That is the mistakes I had. I should have just left her at home. She had no idea. Yeah, but the it was second year. You should have. She hit was it, there hit to support me. Her. You should have just hit it all from. Oh her. no, there's no hiding the yeah. coming home beat up. Yeah. There's the no second hiding year, that. I was pregnant with Paige, and you know when Tim came and got me, and I'm sitting by the ring, and then they have these ring girls who are you know scantily clad, and they're carrying these signs around, and she like passes me as I'm sitting there, and she looks at me really strangely, and then she said, "Why are you here?" The like, ring girl did. Yeah, yeah, like. 
what do you, what, what are you doing here basically and i was like my, my <laughs> so you were Kate, you were next like, to the ring because really? of the fight that happened in the crowd yes that got, um, yes yeah yeah i did not belong there <laughs> you did not look like you fit in no no she didn't okay well Maybe one day you can fit in in that environment. <laughs> is that a is that a goal of yours? No, no, it's not. No, it's not. Sure. No, she'd rather just watch at home on TV. Okay. Yeah. Now, like watching jujitsu, that's a different. That's a different group of people. That's oh a yeah, it's a different yeah. Gracie, crowd. Gracie Jujitsu of Kentucky, super corny, family yeah. friendly, right? Yes. Or or even we watch many many you know YouTube videos of of people doing jujitsu and it. Any competition we watch, it's very people are very controlled, and you know it's a good environment. It's it's nothing like the environment that Matt signed up to fight for in two thousand one, two thousand, yeah. two thousand, and also buys pay per views for these days, the trashiest events he can yeah. find. Yeah, so he is clearly still drawn to that. We're gonna crowd, have another. You're crowd. invited There's December 9th to my house for having a redneck brawl. Oh yeah. Um, Event. Where is that event at? Uh, I don't know where they're having it. I don't know. Uh, somewhere in central part of the United States. Um, but I've seen all kinds of... It's only 20 bucks. It's it's very entertaining. Only so, 20 bucks. So that yeah. means it should be real, like real classy event, right? Oh, it's top class. Yeah. Okay. So. Actually, I may be able to attend that. So December 9th, watch that on pay-per-view. Yeah. Well, I've got a little dojo right beside the tv so, so we'll we be able to roll. we can roll watch fights real bad fighting some good some mostly bad but it's all good carrie will be upstairs i wish that was a lie but it's not yeah. sounds about right okay yeah. so. well i appreciate both of you coming on the show today thank you very much um matt i know you do actually listen to a lot of the episodes and give me some feedback yeah. so this is a good advertisement that when you listen and feedback, give me feedback for the podcast that you end up coming on. Yeah. So that's a very strong sales pitch for more people to follow the show, I guess. I don't know. I'm curious if I'm your number one podcast you, listener. Yeah, I, I think you give me more feedback than anyone okay. for the right. specific episodes. Because I'll record some episodes you know. Yeah, and you're like, I can't believe you listened to that one. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> like the, did you listen to Cameron Colball where the one guy owed the other one $40? Did you listen to that? Two amateur MMA fighters. One's 0-2, heavyweight. They're like 5'6", 300-pound guys. Both of them, 0-2, 0-1. One of them messaged the other one and said, hey, I need to borrow $40. He sent it to him. I don't know why. Then one guy blocked him. So I decided to do an episode about that. (laughs) Did you hear that one? No, I haven't. haven't. I'm sort of behind on my podcast on... uh, I just listened to the one about the Rowdy Rooster, but I need to go back. The, ra- the Rowdy Rooster's yeah, upcoming opponent. Yeah, and that, so I, I need to go back. I think I'm missing like two episodes. But. They get pretty trashy, but I, I you know, I obviously enjoy those yeah. too. So I'm acting like I'm poking fun at you, but I also like the super trashy yeah. stuff, obviously. Yep. It sounds like you have a wide range of things that you talk about. I do, yeah, on, on the Kelly podcast. Patrick Show, yep. yep. Mm-hmm. I vote Libertarian, not Republican or Democrat, so it's political in a lot of cases, right? Um, and then really uh, random. I've tried to get people on that'll say crazy shit in the past. I did get one person, you know, to say, I've gotten people to different types of guests. Like I try to get the most polarizing people possible sometimes. I got the one um, guy who was a, a black Muslim. Yep. And he was defending, you know, 
or he was presenting that case of things. Very interesting. Um, and then, um, you know, so I've tried to get people real far on the left. Oh, I got one guy to defend Joseph Stalin on air. Yeah. He's a big communist. That was interesting. So try to get them all different directions. Well, I appreciate both of you coming on. Thank you very much. Thanks. Yeah. This has been, it's been great. It's been fun. Good. Um, also want to thank everyone for tuning in. Of course, we'll have another episode of the Kelly Patrick Show out soon. Thank you. Thank you.